Okay, if you have your Bibles, um, let's go ahead and turn to uh, Romans chapter 1. And we're going to pick up where we left off last week uh, in verse 18. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's probably one around you. Uh, steal one or, or uh, uh, grab one. I shouldn't say steal. That's probably not nice in church. Huh? You, you're more than welcome to take one of these home, by the way. You're not stealing. You, it's a, our present to you. But um, you know, grab one from the chair around you. So, um, Tiffany, can I get your help here? Uh, I, got, I got the Byrams working like crazy today. I got Josh in the back. I just threw him back there. Josh, I don't know if y'all have noticed, is sporting an incredible stash. So, yes, nice. We like that, Josh. I mean, Magnum P.I. is coming, right? And, and Tiffany is digging it and loving it. Um, and then, <laughs> no, it's, it's nice. It's nice. Um, so we got Tiffany up here helping us. Uh, we're going to cook some waffles. It doesn't compare at all to the king cake we have over here, all right? There, there's nothing that compares to king cake, all right? But um, I'm going to integrate waffles into, into my message today. I, I, I can't, I'm sorry, but I can't get out of my head the one line in Shrek, and I've been saying it all day, so let me just say it out loud. You know, you know where, the, where the donkey's, like, running around, and he's like, ooh, ooh, he's talking to Shrek, he's like, we can stay up late swapping manly stories, and in the morning, I'm cooking waffles. Anybody know that one? Yeah? Thank you for just letting me get that off. It's, it's, oh, it's such a great line. So, all right, so let me refocus us here now. Um, so here's what happened last week. Last week, Paul basically introduced himself to the Romans. The Roman, the people that he is writing to is a primarily Gentile group, which means they are not from a Jewish background. There are some Jews in here, but you got to plug it in. Um, right here, I got you. They're not, they're not, um, they are primarily um, Gentiles. There are some Jews among them that have a Jewish background, but for the most part, they are uh, Gentiles, which means they didn't have, they didn't have this understanding of God. They didn't have this, this, this thing where they're like, hey, you know, uh, we saw God who was this pillar of fire. He was this pillar of smoke. We have that background. We've learned it. So basically, Paul has said hello. He's writing, you know, just to them, and he wants everyone who reads his letter to know that they, they can live and trust God. And in fact, we left off yesterday, uh, last week with, in verse 6 or 17, he says, the righteous will live by faith. Basically, this word faith and trust is kind of inter, interspersed here. Uh, you can exchange them out. The righteous will live by trusting God. This, this is how you're made holy. And, and, and please, we're going to get to, the, to, to Jesus Christ on the cross. It all is the same thing. He's talking about the same thing. But this is the sweet spot of all Scripture. The righteous will live by faith, by trust. This is the sweet spot of all Scripture. And the, the thing that we're going to talk about now today Paul gets done with his introduction. Now he's going to start talking about some sin. And we're going to talk about serious sin. Um, and, and it's not just sin. It's not just like, hey, um, this is sin, don't do this. This is, hey, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter whether you're Jewish or whether you're Gentile. It doesn't matter what your background is. Um, you sin. 
And guess what? You are accountable to God. Everybody with me? I don't want us to miss this. We sin, and no matter who you are, we are accountable to God for that sin. It's a big deal. And so, so God makes it known through this passage that we're going to look, look at here. But let me, the hard part about our world and our culture and really our friends you know, around us um, is, is that a lot of my friends who are not Christians, they, they kind of, they're like, you know, yeah, I sin, I understand. <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? Uh, I, I sin, I understand, but, but um, you know, I'm not accountable to anybody. Or they act like they're not accountable to anybody. That's the hard part. But here's the thing uh, about it. They, they may act like, you know, there's a God, but he's so far off and he's distant, and, and it's not this individual personal God. But everyone does realize that they're not perfect. I mean, all of my friends, they would say they're not perfect in any way, you know, they'll say, well, you know, I'm not perfect, but I don't have, I'm not accountable to anybody, but here's the question that you can ask, and, you know, you don't want to come out and be blunt like this, obviously, but you can always ask, hey, well, do you have any kind of shame in your life? Well, yeah, everybody has shame. That right there shows that there has to be somebody who they are accountable to. Shame brings out this need for accountability. And we need to be accountable to God. Why do people walk around with shame and regret and pain for all these past mistakes? It's because they have yet to be forgiven or healed or released from this shame. So Paul begins this uh, chapters-long excursion, excursion on sin. And so he... In verse 18, he starts us out, and, and it's kind of divided. We're going to look at verses 18 through 32. He divides it up into three parts. This first part, he, he announces, basically, the revelation of God's wrath. Doesn't sound, that sound awful? I mean, it's just like, I mean, you've got visions of lightning bolts, and, you know, you, you picture God as Zeus, who's not real, you know, that kind of thing. And, and so he announces God's wrath, but he explains why the wrath is justified. It's because people commit ungodly and unrighteous acts they sin but please as we're talking through this we're going to talk all about sin today as we're talking through this do not forget what the sweet spot of all scripture is in fact i hate doing this but i want to do it what is this what what is the sweet spot of all scripture the righteous will live by faith or trust. The righteous, say it together, okay? The righteous will live by faith. One more time. The righteous will live by faith. Don't tell my wife I did that. She, she will kill me, okay? She hates it when I do that. So, so here's the thing. Tiffany has worked up a few wonderful waffles here. Have we, have we gotten the, the butter on yet? Let's go ahead and throw some butter on and, and, and get a good bit of butter right there in that that's that y'all y'all know when you how many of you like butter on your waffles or pancakes you how do you butter your waffles you just slab it on right but what's the one spot that 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 always get that middle spot you know what i'm talking about it's it kind of it kind of oozes in and sinks in it's like that that just wonderful scrum diddly yumptious spot right in the middle the, the sweet spot of the waffle right 
And, and, and so Tiffany is going to make us some sweet spot waffles. So um, raise your hand if you would like a waffle as she passes them out. Um, but it, it, this is the thing. It's like having a, a waffle, this, this knowing and understanding this scriptural sweet spot. It's like having this sweet spot waffle. You, you cut around it and you, you save it for last, right? Does anybody else do this or am I the only five-year-old here, right? I mean, you're just, you're just like eating it and, and, uh, and you just, in that last bite, it's like, oh, you know, it's so good, right? It's wonderful. Yeah, if you want syrup, go ahead. I don't know. Yeah, this wasn't planned out incredibly well, I guess, but whatever. Um, we got forks and, and, and knives and, and Tiffany, thank you for doing this. Uh, okay. Um, so let's take a look at verse 18. Okay, we're going to start there, and um, we're going to just kind of look at a paragraph at a time and just kind of go back and uh, look at each, each word or whatnot. So verse 18, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since... The creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Now, let's jump back to verse 18 here. God's wrath, the the wrath that that Paul is talking about here, comes to those who refuse to acknowledge the truth. They bring it upon themselves. Notice here, they suppress the truth by their wickedness. Sin, when we start living in it and loving it, it suppresses our ability to know right from wrong. It suppresses our ability to hear from God. It doesn't take it away completely because God's Holy Spirit and His righteousness, man, it punches through anything. But... But it will seriously suppress how we hear from God. This word truth here, it says, uh, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. The, this word in the Greek is not just like this mental acknowledgement. It's not just, hey, you know, yeah, that's true. You know, it's correct. This word truth in Greek is, is something that is to be done or obeyed. One theologian that I read restates uh, restates it by the verse really by saying do not let it develop itself into power and influence on your knowledge of God and your relationship with him this is a big deal and Paul uses the present tense here which means his readers whoever's reading this it means it applies to you like like everything applies to you but but he's specifically talking to these guys he's like listen guys Don't let this happen to you. Verse 19, he goes on and he talks about how God has made himself known. He's made it easy for us to know that he's there, that he's more powerful, that he is this great creator and that he is present. And Paul can accuse people of suppressing the truth because God has given them a knowledge of himself. He has done this actively and not passively. What does it say here in verse 19? It says, 
God has made it plain to them. And, and remember, Paul is writing to this primarily Gentile community. Okay? The Jews, they had all this knowledge of God. God spoke to them. Built, they built a temple for him. He was there. He was, you know, when they got out of, were pulled out of Egypt, they were, in this, they, led, they were led by this pillar of fire by night and this pillar of cloud by day. I mean, to them, they're like, oh, that's God. You know, I mean, it was just obvious. But to the Gentiles, they didn't know. They had heard of God, but they were just kind of more like, eh, okay, there's a God out there somewhere. But see, here's the thing. Paul is saying that everyone who sees God's creation knows that he is bigger and that his condemnation is just. Now, here is, here, let me, let me, that's as far as he goes, though. He is not saying here, when you look at a mountain in Colorado or you look at, uh, you know, the Mississippi River, you should know Jesus is Lord. That's not what he's saying here. He is saying, when you look at a mountain, you know there is God. You know he is bigger. You know he can do great things. And therefore, you also know that you should be accountable to him. And that whatever he does when it comes to your sin, it is just. This is not talking to specifically Christians. This is not talking to specifically non-Christians. This is just talking to everybody. And then in verse 20, uh, Paul makes a pun, and he says, For the, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities and in his, his eternal power and divine nature have clearly been seen. Y'all see that pun? They're invisible, but they're seen. And this is exactly what he's talking about. Even his invisible qualities are seen. He, his never-ending power, his holy nature. Paul makes it clear that people... People understand God from what is around them. They might not understand that Jesus was sent by God, not yet, but this is the, the thing that clicks in your head that says, I need to investigate this. I need to check this out. And so because of this, Paul makes it clear that people cannot stand before God. They cannot say, you know what, God, I, I didn't know. God, when, when it's your time to meet him, when you die, when you are swept up in the rapture, you cannot stand before him and go, yeah, but God, I mean, yeah, I, I, I know, but, but and he's like, there's no excuses. And Paul says, men are without excuse. So Paul is, his purpose here is not to infer God's, as one theologian said, God's being from the world, but to uncover the being of the world from God's revelation. I thought that was a beautiful quote. It's not to infer God's being from the world, but to uncover the being of the world from God's revelation. And then we jump to verse 21. What is going on with this thing? Verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave them thanks, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. So over the next few verses, Paul's going to give this very detailed description of how people suppress the truth, of, of how really the process goes. And so if you have a pen, I want you to do something for me. I want you to take and write two spirals. Y'all know kind of like a, a tornado? Just write, a, write two spirals up. Two spirals up. One is going to be a sin spiral, and it's going to go down. So you can do one down if you want. And one is, one is just God's holiness and how he works in our life. Verse 21, it says, They knew of God but refused to acknowledge him. So they degraded their thinking, and they degraded their hearts. Their hearts were darkened, and they refused to go all the way with God. They refused to glorify him by thanking him, or, and thanking him. And see, when we connect with our Heavenly Father, when we are connecting with him in the way that that he wants us to in that relationship where we're on our knees, where we're talking to him, where we're just laying in bed before we get up in the morning and just we're just speaking to God, he begins to help us think clearly. He begins to purify our hearts. But if we're not doing this, we're going to see through these examples that we will sink further and further into this perverted knowledge and, and this idolatry-esque type behavior and Paul exposes this contrast in verse 22 he says although they claimed to be wise they became fools this is like a a, a a contrast between illusion and reality they think they're smart they think they're wise they got it all together but they're not they're just trying to please their own desires they're just trying to to make things right in their own head. And Paul's basically subtly jabbing at these false religions of the Romans and the Greeks. They've got all these gods, and a bunch of these gods, we're going to find out their goal is to lead you into temple worship, which involves prostitution and sexual immorality. But when we fall into this, this is a bad thing. This is really kind of the beginning action of sin. It's there in your heart and it's starting to come out. You begin to deceive yourself into believing the things that we create are holier than us alone. Now, can I trade? Who are you giving that one to there? Uh, go ahead and give that. No, give that to somebody. I want to I see if they'll, they'll be willing to trade. Who, who's next? Who's next in the waffle line? Eric. Dude, will you, will you trade with me these waffles for those waffles, these burnt waffles? This, this is, I mean, we can butter it up, maybe soften it for you, but you can put as much as you want, man, much syrup as you want. See, what's happening, Paul is making a very clear illustration is that these people are deceiving themselves and they're trading a lie, something worthless and no good, for the truth, something that is wonderful. 
And, and so if anybody would like this, it'll be right here. But this, this is what Paul is saying. You are trading the sweet spot of Scripture. You are trading God's love for you and God's relationship for you and with you with junk, with nothing, with worthless, tasteless, deceitful things. And he wants us to understand how foolish it is to substitute the direct contact with God's awesome presence for the indirect contact and the shadowy presence of this non-existent relationship found in idolatry. So here, I don't have points, so you can write this down on your own. Write this down kind of at the first level of one of your spirals. This is sin level one that Paul is describing. You are suppressing the truth. These guys, he's pointing out, they're suppressing the truth. They're suppressing God's truth. And so some evidence of this is is exactly what Paul says. Futile thinking and foolish hearts and cultural idol worship. We see this all the time. I mean, there's voodoo everywhere. You know, Eric and I were talking about a, a, a lady that he's been trying to reach out to, has a voodoo shop and and is really trying to promote it, and there's kind of hidden meanings underneath it all. And I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff just here in New Orleans. And so we need to understand, this is going to be your main point for this scripture, and I'm going to say it a hundred times, and you're going you're to get tired of it, but this is the main point. Sin degrades your life, but, the heaven, but your heavenly Father through the Holy Spirit matures and purifies you. Sin degrades your life, but your heavenly Father through the Holy Spirit matures and purifies you. Now, this isn't just them. This is our world. Um, Maybe we're not involved in voodoo, but but it could be, you know, people talk about all the time money or sex or fame. Those can be our idols. Your idol could be your house. Mine could be discontentment and want. Yours could be maybe to climb the ladder, mine maybe to to please people. We have idols in our lives, um, even though they may not have this physical face, right? Verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. So, once again, we see how God, or these people exchange God's relationship with them in, in a truthful, loving, kind-hearted relationship with sexual desires, sinful desires. And so because of the first sin level, God said, all right, you want to do this, I will let you do this. This is this, is this incredible thing, and in, in there is, like, God is going to do what he does, but we still have free choice, and, and so when we choose to sin, he will let us sin, but he will also let us take the consequences of our sin. And this is the wrath of God that Paul is talking about here. It's not always the wrath of God. Sometimes the wrath of God is 
death. And sometimes the wrath of God is harsh punishment. But here Paul talks about the wrath of God as being just you and I dealing with our sin. And so it says, therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires. There was no lightning bolt. There was no, no you know, no punishment or, or anything like that except for the fact that, hey, you guys want to roll this way? Roll on. I'll let you do it. All the while, the Holy Spirit is right there at the door just waiting for, for these people to change, waiting for us to change with whatever sin we have in our life, Right? All the while, just waiting for us to turn and say, God, I don't want to do it anymore. But he will give us over to the sinful desires of our heart. And we see here this, this word where it says gives over or, or gave them over. It's reminiscent of how God would give Israel over in the Old Testament to their enemies. They're messing around, they're screwing around with other idols, and they're, they're just doing stuff that's just no good, and God's like telling them, telling them, telling them, it's fine, fine. You know what? The Assyrians have been knocking on your door trying to take this place over. I guess I'm just going to let them, because you don't care about me. You'll come back. But I'm going to let you fall to your sin. This is that hands over, give them over, uh, kind of reminiscent of God handing over Israel, so he hands us over like a judge handing off a prisoner, and we're handed over to the ever-increasing cycle of sin. And so we see them, they continue to want to exchange the truth of God for a lie, and they want to worship these things that are created. And we find here that they're starting to fall into instinctual behavior. This is kind of like animals. They know it's wrong but they're still doing it. And this is your sin level two. By the way, don't, don't look at this and go, oh, this is all this simplistic, okay? It's not this simplistic. I'm just trying to help us to understand and get a grasp on it. Sin level two, sin, sinful desires. You, you go from suppressing God's truth to now you're, you're committing these sinful desires and some evidence of this is sexual impurity and deeper improper worship and serving. They start getting involved in the, in the temple worship. And they're worshiping not just things that are not God, but specific animals and birds and reptiles and things that they've built. Right? Verse 26. It says, Because of this, God gave them over to, the shameful, to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Idolatry, like I had said earlier in the Roman world, led to sexual impurity. And Paul singles out here homosexuality. And, and listen, I know our culture is, is very sensitive about this. I know that our culture um, says it's okay. I know what's going on. I'm not, I'm not stupid pastor up here, like, you know, whatever. But I also know what Paul is saying here. And I also know what Scripture has said. And I know that Paul bringing up this homosexual 
um, homosexuality specifically, he is pointing out how not only have we gone from instinctual now to from animals in, in the way they act, but now we are going lower than the animals. And we are replacing what happens naturally in nature to what happens to unnaturally. This is not a, a psychological thing. This is just sin. And people all the time exchange natural sexual practices for the unnatural. And God will allow it. He will hand us over for it. This does destroy, Paul does destroy the argument by the homosexual community that God is not against homosexuality if two people love each other. Paul's very clear that not only is it against God, it is against nature itself. He's very clear this is a sin. Now, do not take my tone or Paul's tone for a lack of love. Because we know many people who live a a, a gay, lesbian, transgender lifestyle. You can go down into the quarter and meet people. You can develop a relationship with them. You can love them the way God loves them, right? Let's not confuse anything here. We should love our friends who are caught in this. We should love them with all of our hearts. We should not condemn. It's not our place. God does that on his own. He has the power to do that. And if we befriend people who are homosexual and love them, then they'll see God in us. There's a whole denomination that promotes this. It's, it's just a lie. It's called the Metropolitan Church. They're in all the major cities. There's one right up here on Claiborne. Excuse me, uh, Carrollton. They will take you as you are and encourage you to stay as you are. God says, we will take, I will take you as you are, but I want you to change into me. I want you to let me develop you. And listen, this doesn't just sit for those who are homosexual. This sits for me. <laughs> this sits for my, my anger. This sits for my, for my envy. This sits for any sin that I have or that you have. Okay? Paul uses this as a specific sin because he sees it in his culture. And so we see this, this same pattern as the men and women began this homosexual lifestyles. It's all based upon lust that they just cannot quench. And Paul's not throwing condemnation, as I said. He leaves God in charge of that. He's explaining here how serious this sin, but in being specific, all sin, how serious it is in the eyes of God, and that there is a stiff punishment for it. And so this is our sin level three. God hands them over to these shameful lusts. And some evidence of this are unnatural relations. 
homosexuality, perversion of the body. But listen, guys, let me say this again. Sin degrades our life, but your heavenly father through the Holy Spirit can and will mature you and purify you. We need to love these people that come into our lives, that are in our lives, that have this sin. Verse 28. A man... Verse 28. A man is not... Excuse me. That's chapter 2. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Seems a little out of place there, doesn't it? It's like, what? They are senseless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Paul says, if they continue in their sin, then God will continue to let them walk down that path. And the next step is this depraved mind. This is where they allow their emotions and their wickedness to come out. And it's almost completely unfiltered, you know, with the exception of a cop around. I mean, it's they'll just do what they want. And Paul says, they began to do what ought not to be done. And God gives them over to this worthless mind, which results in doing more improper things. These are people who are unable to think and decide correctly about God and his will for their life. But there is still hope. You know who this reminds me of, these these things here? It reminds me of Hollywood. Like, I can't come up with some of these horror movies. I could never think of this stuff. These Saw movies? I mean, this is as depraved as, as I think it gets. And yet, Paul says they invent ways of doing evil. So we know it's going to get worse, right? I mean, this is, it's, it's just like, man, it's just... How, how do you make up this guy who, who is killed and, and then rises back again from a swamp and wears a hockey mask and just runs around killing people? How do you come up with the idea of a, of a guy with these crazy claws for a hand who jumps into your dream? I mean, how do you come up with this stuff? And, and listen, Hollywood and the art world, they'll say, oh, that's creative, that's art. Quentin Tarantino, he's art, right? It's just sin. <laughs> it really is. And listen, I'm not jumping on you because you've seen it. We've all seen some of this stuff. It's just not in a commercial. They do it in such a way that you're like, man, I'd like to actually kind of see how that goes, right? But you just look at these people and you say, how do you do that? Paul gives this vice list, basically. They've become, verse 29, they've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. This is basically hatred. They're full of envy and murder and strife and deceit, deceit and malice. More just 
I mean, this is how they act on their hatred and their gossips and slanderers, their God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. That's how they hurt people. This, when you meet somebody like this, notice gossip is in here. Ah, I mean, wow. This is how people, how they tear you down, how I've torn people down before. I've been here, this is like sin level four, which is a depraved mind. I've had a depraved mind because I've been involved in serious gossip, not just slipping it out here and there. I've been involved in it. I'm not going to lie. Before I was a Christian, after I was a Christian, I had a depraved mind. And so God works on it. This is doing the unthinkable and the unimaginable. And this is how sin continues to degrade our life. But your heavenly Father through the Holy Spirit matures and purifies you. And then verse 32. It says, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. Remember, you can see God's decree. You can see his righteousness when you look at the mountains, when you look at the Mississippi River, when you go down to the bayou and you see alligators swimming around. You can see God's incredibleness, right? And they know this. He says, even though they know it, they deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. The sin cycle spirals down to encourage others to join in their sin. And Paul reminds us that these people know God, but continue to do them, but actually and actually approve those who do them. This is sin level five, encouraging others to do these things encouraging others to do these things but notice in verse 32 this glimmer of hope even if you fall down so far even if you are rock bottom even if you're sleeping as my dad used to say in a gutter because you're drugged out and drunk off your tail even if you are that far notice the beginning of verse 32 although they know god's righteous decree at any point, because we know that God is there, we can go and search for Him. We can go and look for Him. And praise God that we, for most of us here, we know who He is. We have a relationship with Him. And, you know, there's some I don't know. I don't know where you're at. But at any moment, at any time, you can just say, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to live this spiraling, out-of-control, sinful life. I want to live for you. And it is only those who trust God who will be considered righteous and holy before Him. And that may be the beginning of our life and our walk with Christ. You are never out of His reach, but He does ask you, Turn to me and trust that I will take care of you. Because the righteous will live by faith. Sin degrades your life, but your heavenly Father through the Holy Spirit. Draw a, take, a, take your pen, draw an arrow up on that other spiral. And along that arrow, right, matures and purifies. The Holy Spirit, the, fa the heavenly Father through the Holy Spirit matures you 
and purifies you. And we focused on sin today, and we're going to focus on sin for a little bit longer. It gets a little bit lighter, but Paul's making it very clear. It will degrade your life just when you dabble in it. It starts at that first level, and then it draws you in and sucks you in. And the next thing you know, you are rock bottom, and you're hurting. And some of us may be at one of these levels. It may be one, it may be two. You may be able to hide it, and you may be at four or five. And God just begs you and pleads with you, says, I gave my son for you so that you could trust me and be righteous in my eyes. The righteous will live by faith. Those who trust him and trust what he did on the cross through Jesus Christ will have a relationship with him. And he will look at you No matter where you're at when you turn to him. He will look at you and say you are my child. You are holy and you are righteous. You are correct in my sight. Father. Sin is so difficult to talk about. And so many people just choose not to. But God you have made it clear through Paul through. Um, your word that we have to acknowledge our sin to you. We have to acknowledge that we have shame and pain and regret. And the reason we have that is because you gave us a conscience. You call us to be accountable to you. So, Father, wherever we may be at, whether it be just a little bit of sin whether it be great big sin, Father, you look at it just the same. It is sin. It is us turning away from you, disobeying you. God, purify us as we turn to you, as we trust you, as we love you. Make us whole. Make us right. Make us holy, God. We know that we have no power in and of ourselves to do this. We know it only comes from you and you ask one thing, that we trust you, that we place our lives in your hands. We have faith in you. Make us faithful, God. Make us trustful. from this evil that lives within our hearts, Father. We pray this in Jesus.